Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we are going to be reviewing the film Blackberry. Okay, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMD summary for Blackberry? Sure. The story of the meteoric rise and catastrophic demise of the world's first smartphone. So dramatic. So dramatic. Catastrophic demise. Yeah, man. Wow. Big explosions. Fiery demise. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for Blackberry. What was yours? Uh, Mine is, movie nights with friends can solve many problems. Oh, I love that you picked up on that. Yes. I had to include the movie nights. Yeah, it was very endearing. Very fitting for our podcast, too. Yes. It was on brand, so it had to be done. My one-sentence summary is, you can hear the clickety-clack clacking of Blackberry marching into oblivion from (laughs) self-delusion. There it goes. Bleep, bleep. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Let's start off with um, our initial thoughts about the movie Blackberry. And we won't include any spoilers yet as well. I think it would be good for us each to share our relationship with Blackberries um, in general. Did we have one? Did we have friends that use them? Were we fans? Were we in the fan club? Or just a careful observer from the outside? So Sarah, tell us your relationship to Blackberry and then also what you thought (laughs) about this movie. I had a Blackberry. Uh, and I loved it. Oh my gosh, did I love my BlackBerry. Uh, I got mine in 2009. So that was like iPhones were a thing. And people were loving the iPhone. And I said, I don't want a touch screen. I'm going to get a BlackBerry. (laughs) Wow. And I loved my BlackBerry. Oh my gosh. What sold you on it? Was it all of the powerful men and no. suits flaunting. No, it <laughs> that was do the it for you? keyboard. That didn't do it for you. I wanted the keyboard. I loved mm-hmm. that thing. It was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But okay, so I had my BlackBerry. Loved it. Was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna use BlackBerry for forever. So when did you betray them? Uh, it died, just oh. like out of the blue one day. Like I hadn't dropped it. Hadn't like nothing had happened to it. One day, it literally just died. And so I went, okay, well, I have to get a new phone now. <laughs> and you didn't work Blackberry still available then? Or you just, you, you made the pivot? I don't actually remember what I did. I think I went back to like an old phone until like my contract was up and I could get like a new phone or whatever. Ah, I don't, yeah. I don't fully remember what phone I had post Blackberry, but. Uh, but you didn't go straight from Blackberry to iPhone. No, I don't mm. think I did. I I was a little bit late to the iPhone train. Mm, I got okay. there, but I was not an early adopter. And I'm usually not an early adopter, so it's on brand. It's, it, it is very on brand for you. It is part of your personality trait at this point. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what about you? How did, did you have a BlackBerry? I did not have a BlackBerry. Oh, no, okay. I, I had a phone that slid up. Like it was similar to a sidekick, but less, less cool and sleek looking with the motion. (laughs) It just slid straight up and it did have a QWERTY keyboard. So, and I went from having, I think a Razer 
what you had to do. It was just the number keyboard. And so when you texted, mm-hmm. you had to like press the buttons multiple times to get the letter yes. that you wanted. Yep. Um, so I went from that to a QWERTY keyboard, which was, it felt like luxurious, um, but I never had the clacking. So that was, that was, um, I think one distinct trait that BlackBerry users all raved about. And then I remember when, when I, when the Blackberries were a thing, some people would BBM each other. And I remember feeling like, man, I can't get in on that whole thing. Cause I'm not in your little BlackBerry fan club network. So, um, that was a thing for a bit, but I think once the iPod came out, then I, I, I think that was kind of the gateway drug to people really buying into to, um, Apple. And at that point, you're like, why do I have a phone and an iPod touch? Let's just all in one. All in one, as they say in this movie. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think that may or may not color our lens of uh, yeah. this movie a little bit and what resonated personally versus didn't. So that'll be fun. Uh, okay. So tell me your thoughts about the movie Blackberry. Did it work for you? I had a really fun time with this. I, yeah, it was great. Um, I was not looking forward to this movie. I did not want to watch this movie because I really didn't want to watch yet another like tech startup biopic thing uh just just wasn't interested in that but somehow this movie really like captivated my attention and I think part of it is because I remember what it was like during this time I remember people being excited about blackberries I remember loving my blackberry so that piece of it was really fun but there's also this like nerdy scrappy quirkiness about this film too that I really enjoyed uh experiencing and uh I I think it was it was fun and and that was just nice to see that this this film while it hits all of the traditional notes of you know the tech biopic or whatever uh it it I feel like it brought something new to the table it was a different way of telling uh this story that we're all too familiar with so I had fun yeah and it ushers in a lot of really interesting topics which I think is pretty illuminating and many many dimensions beyond just the like okay we have a genius um CEO that's just diving into uh self-delusion you know I I there's a lot of other side plots around workplace culture and uh, the choices we make in our supply chain and all that kind of stuff that I think is pretty interesting. I was loving this movie up until the point where we flash forward a couple years and Mike has very, very long white hair and looks <laughs> like a comic book villain. And that that's when it lost me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I could not take that seriously. And I think it's just a little over to the top to the point where I was like, all right, we're, we're, we're heading into some uh, – really interesting waters here. I think everything else up until that point was so punchy. Um, I think that I didn't love the ending of this, which I think colors the rest of the movie to me. I, I was I was just looking for something else, I think, in this ending, and it ended very differently than I expected, um, a little abruptly. So first half, honestly, first two-thirds of this movie, I had a great time with, and I thought the cinematography and kind of the – camera work that this film is doing adds a really interesting dynamic to 
one, you feeling kind of integrated and part of this world, but two, kind of this like frenetic, chaotic nature of, I'm sure, what being in a tech startup looks like that I think um, contributed a lot. It was pretty, pretty interesting. Some of the, some of the camera work was really fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and I agree that the, the first, I don't, most of the movie is way stronger than the ending. The ending I didn't super love, but I enjoyed the rest of the movie. So it, it, uh, it gets a passing grade for me. You forgave it for its ending. Yeah. I'm intrigued to hear it why is. it didn't work as well for you. And if it's for different or similar reasons, that'll be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things that I love that this movie does, especially in the first two thirds of it is it paints a a pretty balanced portrait of both of our two main characters. Actually, all three of our main characters will include Doug in, into that category as well. But um, we see a lot of the incredibly toxic traits and uh, culture that um, Jim ushers in. But there's there's this other side of him that's incredibly competent and skillful and he takes some illegal tactics, but he's got this, this – uh, craft that he's honed that this team needs and so same thing with Mike and with Doug there are these sides of them that we see as flaws but there's kind of a pretty balanced portrait of who they are as people and I think we have seen films like this that are kind of retellings of real life rise or falls of of um companies I think we watched one recently with um air right and they're Mm -hmm. just a you know they paint with pretty broad strokes the characters aren't very interesting um they feel a little bit thin they feel a bit a little bit like cardboard cardboard cutouts because there just isn't depth to them and i thought that these three characters had some depths mike in the third act i think he just becomes a comic book villain and i can't take him seriously like there's just not as much there that's interesting that i think movie could have explored a little bit more because he's such an interesting person and that descent into where he ends up with in his psyche I think is it's pretty fascinating that the film doesn't go into as much which I I get there's limited time but I think it would have been an interesting aspect okay so how about we go into spoilers so that uh we can unpack we can actually talk about a little bit more okay perfect yes so if you haven't seen Blackberry I think it is still available out in theaters although I think it's potentially nearing its uh run of its course for some theaters. I I know in my local theater, I think it's near the end. So recommend checking it out before continuing to listen. Okay, let's dive into the ending since we've referenced it many times. Tell me what what worked, what didn't work for you with the ending. Uh, I think it was, like you said earlier, like really abrupt. Like obviously you know that this is where you are heading, uh, but we just went from it. I, I wonder if the film was trying to mimic the pace of the rise and fall of Blackberry. Cause we, we seem to go on this rise for a really, really long time. And then all of a sudden we just like free fall drop and then the movie's over. And it, it felt very abrupt and just disjointed. You know, we see Mike, become a comic book villain I think Jim also becomes a comic book villain (laughs) um and and then the movie ends and and I I struggled 
to understand how we got there so quickly because both of those characters, like Mike became somebody completely different and we didn't, we maybe saw hints of that along the way, but we, we didn't see that full transformation of him. So it didn't make sense. It, it felt like he just is someone totally new. And then Jim seemed to just become a worse version of himself. All of his worst characteristics were just magnified by like a hundred. But again, like we, we didn't see how these characters got there. So it, it just felt like we jumped through time and now they're these different people and then the movie ends. And so I just wish that some of that pacing to get us to that ending uh, was just a little bit smoother, maybe a little bit fleshed out so that we were able to get there a little bit easier. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true as far as um, your point around the allocation of time. Um, it is pretty abrupt. And I almost think that if the film wanted to focus on the rise and give us just a short scene showing the kind of the aftermath of the fall and keep it much shorter, that would have been fine for us too. You know what I mean? Like flash forward, everything is in chaos and then movie ends, but we kind of spend like another 15 20 minutes in that like um the 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 fall part and i think most of what this film seems to be interested in is um some of the rise and how quickly they rose and what all the things that they were willing to do um but the other thing that i was thinking about when you were mentioning that is you're right that there are these little clues along the way, but perhaps we needed to spend a little bit more time on those to plant those seeds and set up for that fall section to really work well. Because there are these little moments like the cracks in Jim and, um, sorry, in Mike and Doug's, these are all just like generic male, male names. Mm -hmm, um, you're not wrong. Uh, Mike and Doug's relationship and their friendship and kind of the, the friendship and the business side beginning to clash with each other. We see this complete disconnect between the way that Jim is operating and the way that Mike is operating. Like had they maybe just emphasized those moments a little bit more, maybe that fall section would also have been a little bit stronger. But it's a good point that both the characters and the company are drastically different in that one cut, that one jump forward in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything has changed. Mm -hmm. And like, you, you can understand, yeah, it's gonna change. But I don't know, it was it was a little much for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we maybe needed just one more time jump. Short. Yeah, even. just yeah. a little interstitial fluid. Yep, <laughs> just to get us there a little bit easier. Yeah. I, I need to, to have seen maybe Mike begin to change his hairstyle. Yes. Just yeah. a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, he went from like bowl cut to slicked back <laughs> villain mode, mm -hmm. like mad scientist hair yeah. and like eyeliner, I think. Yeah. There, there were some he was interesting choices. All the. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, we needed, we needed an in-between. We needed the awkward teenager stage. Yes. in between those yes. I don't know what that would look like but we we needed a step to get us there mm -hmm. yeah yeah very true very true um okay so I think that didn't work quite well I think that I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the choice for the movie to end on the shot of 
mic opening up all of the defective phones. Um, and then the the classic like retelling of true life events of we're going to now put white text on the screen to tell you where everybody ended up just because apparently you guys are going to be curious about asking these questions around how much money people walked away with. Um, thoughts on that whole kind of ending, true ending, ending sequence. Very, very end. Yeah, I I liked him opening up all the boxes and working on the the phones. Like that felt appropriate to me. Also, those phones sucked. I remember playing really? remember with them? one of those in like the wow. store or maybe a friend had one or something. I don't remember, but like I remember playing with it and going, "Oh my gosh, this is the worst idea ever." Mm-hmm. So, it was Anytime they were talking about BlackBerry's touchscreen phone, in my head, I was going, oh my God, that was a terrible product. This is going to be awful. And it was. So it was that, because I had that context and that knowledge, that part of it was satisfying to me. And we had already established that that's just part of Mike's character. And it was nice to see, even though he has become a supervillain with terrible hair, he still retains that little perfectionism piece. Uh, Even though that doesn't seem like a super like realistic thing that would happen. I feel like it was a nice uh, thematic or story thing to happen. Yeah. I loved that, that ending shot of him surrounded by these boxes and boxes of this faulty product that he's created. And it's, it's a great payoff to the setup early in the film and honestly throughout most of the film, this thread of how much will we compromise on quality and our values and our morals to just sell out and make this corporate machine more and more money. And you see him begin to concede and give more and more and more away of what he was willing to hold on to. And this is the culmination of that. So I, I loved that. I think it ushers in some really interesting thoughts and ideas. And I think a lot of empathy in, in some in some ways for Mike, where when you're when you've bought into this narrative and there's all of this corporate pressure and and the board and the shareholders and that that pressure cooker just I mean, it just like churns you out and and just spits you out and you kind of forgot who you were along the way, which is why I think that this friendship between him and Doug and the way that it unfolds is kind of interesting to me. Um, I'm fascinated by Doug's character, even though he's kind of a side character and he's kind of there to add color and texture. But I think the inability for Mike to hear anything from his closest loved ones in his life is is such a big part of his downfall because he's just put blinders on and is no longer willing to hear any other perspectives. And that is kind of the most dangerous place that we can be as a person when we can no longer take in input and, and um, new perspectives, which is zeroed in on what we believe in, which is sometimes and often false. So um, I thought that that was a really beautiful thing. I think that the um, the ending white text sequence though, I was like, I mean, these just feel a little weak to me. Uh, especially the the slow hype up for the zero percent. I just was like, okay, it's a little bit cheesy. We get it. We know. We know. We're aware. You know. Um, 
So that didn't feel very elegant to me. Well, and so this movie has kind of sent me on a little like researching deep dive because more and more when we watch these biopic movies, I'm wanting to research and see how much is truth and how much is just fiction. <laughs> You're um, like a little investigative detective. Yeah, because I'm just I'm I'm very intrigued by this because we've we've seen quite a few of movies like this that well I don't think that black that this movie was positioning itself as based on a true story we know that blackberries existed we know that this company existed these are based on real people but there's a lot of liberties that they took with this is what I found out and I I've just been wondering these movies that are drawn from real events or drawn from real people like what responsibility does the movie have to be accurate and do they have any yeah so I've just I've been I've been thinking about this because a lot of so like Doug uh Mm -hmm. was a real person but the real person is nothing like the character in the film yeah no way very different human being (gasps) yeah uh Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty big um, creative liberty to take. Right? Like, we're not um, even going to try. Like, it's yeah. one thing to be like, okay, it's it, they tried to make it based off it, but they didn't really nail it, right? Mm-hmm. It's another to be like, yeah, this is not very interesting for a story. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And apparently, like, Mike recognized how revolutionary the iPhone was going to be instead of resisting it like he does in the movie. Which is, I mean, it's not the biggest detail, but that is a pretty that big detail about no, that's, this character. That's, that's a big detail. That's a big <laughs> okay, detail. Okay, great. Because, <laughs> because he's painted as far more yes. g- gone in the depths of his self-delusion in the movie yeah. than he actually was. It's one thing to be like, we recognize this is going to be revolutionary. And we just, we tried to compete and couldn't. But it's, that whole, you know, pitch that he gives at the end, mm-hmm. just such a weak moment for him. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And like the 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 other, I guess, related Yikes. piece to this is that like the the culture of RIM, the company, was very different than it was portrayed in the film. Um, oh wow! And I I think again, this is these creative liberties to get this story to fit into the Silicon Valley tech startup vibe that we're all used mm-hmm. to now when this was not a Silicon Valley startup. Mm-hmm. It was based out of, I think, Waterloo, you know, it's not California. It's not the United States. And it was a very different culture than is portrayed, but probably the real culture is not as fun as this quirky, scrappy, nerdy culture that the mm-hmm. movie portrays. So I've just, I don't, I don't have an answer, but I've just been thinking about, what do these movies owe the audience when they are creating a work around real events or real people? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did some some research on this. This is really great because it's it's bringing up, I think, a really interesting topic, and it's one that The Crown has also faced a lot mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. conversations around, especially because. Well, it's a different – I think it's a different, like, moral dilemma when you're telling a story about someone who is no longer alive and you completely rewrite their story. So that's that's one category of, of 
conversation. The other one is when it's about figures that are still actively in their roles, you know, like they are still very much walking the earth and their public image, their their reputation, it's all kind of being exposed and, and on the line in a retelling in whether it's a TV version or a filmed version. But um, like legally, what can you sue or not sue for? Or is it the fact that you're just a public figure, like you automatically are opening yourself up to whatever interpretations we want to paint of you, you know? But um, I think you bring up an interesting point, which is that this, like most people aren't probably going to do this research and will have this version of the story of Blackberry in their minds, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and these impressions about these people mm-hmm. that are still here and um, yeah. their legacy and the work that they did, you know? Like this one movie can rewrite who the public believes Mike is or Jim is. That's That's a lot of power to hold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and where is the line? Like, how do you do enough to not get sued for, I don't know, whatever, misrepresenting a figure while also creating an entertaining movie? You know, like I, I see how taking real events or real people and dramatizing their life or the rise and fall of a company like you have to take creative liberties you have to mess with the timelines you have to add in some color you know so like one of the ones in in blackberry is that the phone wasn't named because mike spilled a blackberry on his shirt and jim saw it in a pitch meeting like it came from a marketing team because the keys looked like the bumps on a blackberry so like i get how you how you make it like this, oh my gosh, moment of brilliance. And that's how the the brand was born. Like, I understand how you get there because that's probably more exciting than a bunch of creatives trying to come up with a name for a product. But I don't know, where, where, where does the truth fit in in all of this? Where do facts fit in with all of this beyond just some white text at the end of a movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also what that does for the belief systems and the kind of um, glorification of certain like narratives that the public Mm. has, you know, Mm -hmm. like we have long after movies like The Social Network just like glorified and loved this, um, honestly, like the Cinderella story of this uh, genius who has a great idea, who's brilliant, but who's kind of a rebel and and is so great at his craft, builds a team and they hunker down and work hard together and they build this like brotherhood. It's often dudes, you know, so they build this little brotherhood um, where they really just understand each other and then all of a sudden they get their big break and they make it, you know? Like the, the idea that – and sometimes ideas come from moments like spilling something on your shirt, but – there's a lot of craft and skill that marketing teams have to name something well, you know? Like, if I'm that marketing team, I'm like, yo, all this, these months of work that we did trying to name this thing. <laughs> right. And this movie is going to make it seem like this one dude just, like, spilled something and they had this moment of brilliance where they happened to both agree on the name in the middle of this big pitch meeting. Like, 
that's not how things work. And that's not also not how we should be getting things done. Like let's go in with a clear name in mind that we've thought about and done market research on, you know, like there's, I think that the, that idea of spontaneity in these big Cinderella storylines where you go from nothing to, you know, elevated to God status. It's like exciting because there's a spontaneity, but it's also unrealistic. And I think sets people up with unrealistic expectations about what it takes to go to those um, heights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the adult version of a fairy tale. Yes. Yes. Those are our fairy tales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially in America. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, And I think it's interesting to see the way that after a lot of those movies and the stories and, you know, magazine profiles on the big tech giants came out, there was this kind of big wave of people really excited about like quitting their jobs and creating startups. And then the narratives kind of shifted in the past couple of years in tech world around like, let's demystify this myth because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. You put so much time, energy, money that you sacrificed away from your family. Like people had to like mortgage their homes and and put their life savings into this and it sometimes failed. You know, like let's demystify kind of this toxic uh, glorification of something that is not really real. Like you mentioned, our modern day fairy tale, but the capitalist version. Yes. Yes. It is a capitalist fairy tale. Yeah. Which we love. We, we do. I mean, love we love it, it in, in Star Wars. Ray is that <laughs> genius. She is the tech titan that has just not been discovered yet by yes. the Jedi Council, you know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I think we love it just in general, uh, you know, in the sports, you know, like all, all these sports movies around like this kid who's been overlooked and has, has had a rough childhood, but then is discovered and get plugged in with the right people and, you know, rises to fame. You know, we love, we love that there too. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Music, you know, the yeah. music industry becoming famous. Yeah. Yeah. The, the zero to hero is, yes, is what we love. Yes. Zero to hero, but like with spontaneity and, and yeah. coincidence and kind of these miracle mm-hmm. moments. Yep. Yeah. A lot I of think luck. because it makes it make it keeps the hope alive for us as like average Joes to believe that one maybe we're more fabulous than we think we are, and then two maybe someone will discover us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely a more uh, <laughs> difficult story to sell to be like. Let's take an inside look into the grueling like years and hours of time and and those like breaking point moments where these people continue to persist despite everything staring in its face that it, they couldn't do it, you know? That's mm-hmm. far less yeah. <laughs> glossy. Yeah, we just make that into like a one to two minute montage. Yeah. And then we get to, you know, where yes. they are victorious. But we don't – the entire movie is not – Rocky training to be a fighter. Yeah. You know, we get we get a few moments of that before he goes and fights Apollo Creed. Um, not mm-hmm. Apollo Creed. But um you know, like we don't yeah. we don't want to watch a whole movie of somebody just struggling. 
Yeah. There are movies yeah, like true. that, but those aren't as, those aren't the feel good ones always. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. life is hard and we want to escape to a film. Yeah. But it's such a, it's such a like false sense of a high. We just love the high of, you know, the final sequence of Top Gun Maverick where after their apparently months or weeks of grueling training, like they can now execute that mm-hmm. mission. Yep. But like, I don't want to have to put in the work. I just want the high of getting to execute the mission. You know, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it is very satisfying. I'll, I'll give it that, Heck but yeah. yeah, it's not real. No, it is not. Not us just injecting like a sobering <laughs> dose of realism into this story. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I just it it was that Blackberry scene that made me go, hmm, this doesn't You're like I call bullshit. I did. <laughs> I was like, that's a really nice moment. It's a good movie moment. But in my head, I was going, that's not how this was named. There's no way that this is how this was mm. named. And then yep. that sent me on my researching rabbit hole. Well, actually, I think you bring up a really interesting point, which is that Okay, we can do that when it's Top Gun Maverick and and it's, you know, Apollo Creed training and it's Rocky and it's blah, 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 right? Like those those we know are fictional stories and we kind of have that mentality going in. But I think the point that you're making, which is really interesting, is that it's more toxic for us to say that something is true about a real-life event but not actually represent – but to, to have that much creative liberty to stretch the truth to the point where – we're not even telling the truth anymore. But the people, the audience is going to believe that this was true because you're telling me it's based on true events. You know, so it's a it's a different reading and coding that's gonna be received in my brain as an audience member if I'm watching a like Michael B. Jordan train versus someone that you're telling me actually went through this and we're now stretching the truth to the point where it is this weird mix of reality but also this kind of glorification of whatever story is kind of convenient for us. I think that's more, I think that's more problematic than these kind of like mm-hmm. dreamy stories that we like to tell. Yes, that are fictional. absolutely. Yeah. And I think fiction, yeah, totally fine. Do whatever you want. We're along for the ride. Are there problematic things in some of those stories? Of course. But like, yeah, you are fiction. You can take all the liberties in the world you want. You know, mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. in Fast X is now a superhero everything is detached from reality and physics, but that's okay. Cause we're not basing this on a true story. Right. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I think, especially because there are so many movies and series that are based off of real people, based off of true events. Like, I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about a bit more. Cause you're right. When you know, like, okay, I'm going to watch this movie about Blackberry blackberry existed it was a company i know some things about it i'm going in thinking this is going to be at least mostly factually accurate with some hollywood gloss because you have to Mm -hmm. but i i i think it's an interesting thing to think about and i wonder how movies are going to continue to adapt to biopics like are we going to go more towards the truth are we going to go more towards fiction you know I've also been thinking about blonde which was not 
a retelling of Marilyn Monroe's life, but it was based on a book that was a fictional version of Marilyn Monroe's life. And so I think we're, we're in this really messy space of what is fact and what is fiction and how much do we include in movies? And what is yeah. our responsibility as the audience to then respond to these things? You know, like, do we have to go on a researching trip every time we watch one of these based on true events or based on true people movies? I don't know. It's looking like we're probably going to have to. Yeah, but but you are the minority. Most people are not going to research, I know. you know? I know. So then so – then, I didn't research, for example. <laughs> I did not look up anything on what was true and what was not true. <laughs> yeah. So I would be living the rest of my life had I not known you and we not had this conversation thinking that Mike descended truly into self-delusion and completely denied the rise of apples. You know, I would think that Doug as a human being is that characterization and that personality type. You know, like that is my, that is my new truth because this movie positioned it that way to me. Um, so, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if we have, um, I think it'll be have to be like consumer led, which is interesting. But the way that, you know, in the food industry, there's, there's higher demands for there to be transparency around like what ingredients are actually being included in our products. Um, I wonder if there will be kind of a self- self-regulation or, or accountability that begins to be ushered in at some point maybe the con- maybe as consumers we just won't care that's possible too you know mm-hmm. like we're like just tell me a good yeah. story so I can escape my stressful life you know but I wonder if there will be a movement of like responsible filmmaking like if we're gonna take a real life story there's certain accountabilities that we that the creators can be uh, held to a certain standard of at least research or attempts to tell it well and because there's lots of gray area we can have all of the legal people figure out the the nuances of what's past a certain threshold or not but this idea of like responsible filmmaking will be maybe interesting to see if if we even care enough (laughs) to advocate for it I think that is a big giant if yeah because I don't I I don't think so I don't think that people care you know, I wouldn't have cared except I called BS on that Blackberry scene. That was the only reason why I descended into my research. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have because I enjoyed the movie. I had a good time. I had no reason to doubt what I saw on the screen other than that Blackberry scene. So then perhaps it's not the consumers that will advocate for it, but it's mm-hmm. perhaps the people that are being portrayed. Like, yes. Print. I guess King Charles of England being like, yo, this is just raw. It's just not true. This scene that you portrayed of my childhood where I did X, Y, and Z and said X, Y, and Z like, no, but I know that there is this, uh, at least some legal precedent around when you're a public figure to a certain status, there's, you just, you by default concede over rights to some, parts of your story and and mm-hmm. the ability for your you as a character to be portrayed in like books and and movies and tv shows and whatnot so um 
where is the line between okay this is defamation versus like no this is this is just what you've agreed to by being a famous person mm-hmm. and like art you know and yeah. like especially here in America, like my first amendment right and art falling under free speech. And Mm. so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot connected to this and like Blackberry, I'm not saying that it's like totally inaccurate, but, um, and there's obviously checks and research and lawyerly things and all of that, that goes into a movie. So I know that there's, some of it there's some degree of fact checking that happens I'm just I'm very curious at where that line is and Mm -hmm. how much fiction you are allowed to include in a movie like this well wasn't it the imitation game with Benedict Cumberpatch where they just invented a whole character his primary friend I forget she was a woman I remember I don't remember what her name was but she just like did not exist as a person (laughs) in real life like they invented a whole freaking character I I think that that happens quite often though yeah because you just you need this character so that the the film will follow a narrative arc you know because our lives don't follow a neat three-act structure and so mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to make things fit into a three-act structure. So again, like, I don't know where the line is of how much fiction can you include. And I mean, thankfully, it's not up to me. So I don't have to make these decisions. I can just ponder them for days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. But if I'm Mike, I'm like, man, y'all portray me to be just absolutely I just went absolutely loony on this power trip like okay mm-hmm. cool that's great now people yeah. think that that's just who I am as a person and that's my reputation now and that's how I will be remembered for people that didn't really know me personally because who does unless you which but then okay this is an interesting other dimension which is this need for famous people to have social platforms to be able to, to fight back against media sources or Mm, other people's mm -hmm. tweets or rumors like that is the only platform that they have to say this people are saying this about me and I'm here to tell you that it's not at least they have a voice in that which before social media they they were solely reliant on magazines and publishing outlets to tell their story so but but then you have to do all the work to like curate a personal brand and be posting and sharing and debunking and then doing that in an elegant and um in an elegant way that also doesn't invite more critique you know like it's just a whole nother whole nother game well and it's it's interesting I read that the real life gym uh like the 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 one in the movie is like an extreme version of the real life gym Mm. and so some Mm. of the things like the whole like hockey team thing that was not accurately represented either. Um, but like the real life Jim I read did see the movie, I think. And he oh. just kind of chalked it up to like, oh, that's just like a like a caricature, basically. And so he He's taking in good good fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just like, oh, that's not really me. They just created a character for the movie. You know, so it's it's even interesting to think about people who are alive and being portrayed in these films how are they responding to that do they have an opportunity to 
speak into the creative process and maybe help with some of these things. Like I know, you know, actors or filmmakers will sometimes reach out to the real life people and have some degree of contact. Um, King Richard. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I I don't, it's, it's all just interesting. (laughs) I think we need the equivalent of like USDA organic labels (laughs) on films like you know how they always have the love it based on true events or inspired by true events like i think we need for Mm -hmm. the viewers if it says based on true events then i can assume a 90 percent level of authenticity to reality if it says inspired by true events Mm -hmm. i'm assuming a two (laughs) percent level of authenticity (laughs) and that you are telling me a great story you know like but at least there are these tiers and thresholds the same that we have in the food system that's what i would Mm -hmm. like as a consumer i would like that you know yes (laughs) so in addition to uh like rating and and genres and all of these different things that we have for movies. Now we need a, a truthfulness tier. Yes, they Honestly, we need a whole that. team of inspector and investigator yes. uh, truth checking. Yes, led by Sarah Callen herself. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. If it meets a certain threshold, you get to say based on true events. If Great. not, then I'm sorry, but yep. maybe there's other tiers. Yeah, yeah, we can add others if we need to. But right now it's pass fail. So <laughs> yeah. Like right now it's like you can show up to school. If not, that's okay. We'll also give you an A. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. Like no one's no one's checking anything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. It's Here's your fine. diploma. Fine. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay, so I think we have begun a new movement called responsible filmmaking fantastic i'm I'm we have one for ai called responsible ai i think we can apply this to many places perfect i love responsible farming yeah man let's let's just be responsible in all areas yes yes please responsible all the things (laughs) yeah um okay other things that we want to talk about with blackberry uh that is a great question there's a lot of other directions yeah where would you like to go because i i hijacked our Uh, whole episode by talking about (laughs) the reality because we've had a lot of these as of late i i mean just a few weeks ago we had air Mm -hmm. which again now i'm like i don't know how many did they really make it in 24 hours less than 24 and 12 i didn't i didn't deep dive on air because mm-hmm. I was totally focused on other things. I was focused on Viola Davis because she is the hero of that film. And the mm-hmm. movie should have been about her. So I did not have space in my brain to research. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, they didn't they they didn't surpass the bullshit threshold in your book. They did this not. movie did. And you were like That Blackberry man. Yes. I've gotten now a little bit of an alert and I'm gonna go investigate. Yes, had to. Um, okay, can we talk about the cinematography? Because I just yes. thought it was pretty unique. Yeah. Uh, and pretty unconventional. I think it helps make this film feel a lot less like a glossy Hollywood retelling because it's pretty – it feels in the same way that our main characters are incredibly scrappy. The, like, shaky cam, handheld um, effect of the cinematography, I think, helped you feel like you were just 
almost especially in those early uh first 20 minutes of the movie feeling like you're watching a home video of these people creating a company together and their day-to-day and capturing the little uh facial expressions and dynamics and all of that kind of stuff it had some really interesting um camera angles specifically as well like there's distinctly i think in the opening scene where jim is called into his boss's office and we are almost like peering in from behind a plant with our camera like zeroed in onto their two faces going back and forth between them um and we we really never get a full shot of that office and it's not filmed like a shot over shot it's almost like someone is creeping in with their with their little camera to spy on this conversation and i thought um that was a really interesting effect and and creative choice that this film decided to employ did it work for you Mm -hmm. yeah no it it Mm -hmm. reminded me of the office which is just fun because Ah, that is how the office is shot um it reminded me of succession and i was like i don't know if we're just consuming too much succession these past few weeks or um but i i mean it's like that documentary style punch in the right yeah a specific moment in time yeah yeah the the other piece that i thought worked really well with the cinematography was the soundtrack and just really helping you not only be transported back into that time but helping you get into the mind of specifically these nerds as they're mm, they're working. It's true. And I think yeah. it was a good mix with some of that frenetic camera work to really help create this environment that we were in. Yes. Yes, that um, that feeling of immersion. Like you are one of the dudes clacking away at your computer and and it it, it helped you feel the energy of the room in a way that mm-hmm. I think a lot of other, you know, classic Hollywood retellings of this type of story, you are an observer of the story unfolding in front of you. And it's shot with very traditional um, camera angles and, and whatnot. But yeah, the music is a really interesting uh, point around it being a time traveling device. You know, I think, I think we talked about this with Licorice Pizza uh, when that came out. But the way that I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too, but the way that those movies use soundtracks to help transport you to a time and place and a kind of energy and a psyche of the that era um, worked really well. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And I'm 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 very curious what that time was like in Canada rather than mm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, I feel like this film is is following the very like American version of this. And I just wonder if culturally it was a little bit different in Canada than it was here during that time. Like, were they even listening to this, the the same songs? Right. Or is that just our like projection onto these people? I don't, I don't know. Cause I know that like we export a lot of culture around the world. So it is conceivable that what was popular here in the U S was also popular in Canada but I know that they have their own separate culture too. So that's also just interesting to think about um, when we maybe Americanize things when they're in a different country like Canada. Well, they made Doug just in the, like an entirely different personality. So <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them at this point. 
Who knows? I That was not part of my research, was the cultural differences between Canada and the United States in the early aughts. You would, you would be full-time job to investigate the intricacies of <laughs> Blackberry the film and an expose on its, its lack of truth-telling. Yeah, no, that's that's too much. It was yeah. it was a fun enough movie. Don't need to yeah. go any deeper. Had a yeah. good time. Would yeah. recommend. I think one thing that uh, we also seem to love about these tech fairy tales is the dynamic between partnerships and the way that there is often this friendship or some kind of rapport or trust and the way that that trust begins to erode when the vision for the company begins to deviate from each other. And there's often, I mean, I think this trope is pretty, pretty um, tried and true of there's, there's one that is kind of bending to the times or whatever's convenient for them to thrive or succeed or to fit in, you know, and then we see this other character who has stayed true to themselves and is often this like counterculture um, or the minority group and their willingness to hold on to their values. And really had Doug and Mike kind of rubbed off on each other, they would have balanced each other out really well. Cause I think that, Doug's commitment to keeping that workplace culture and the fun and the camaraderie is key to any successful company, especially one that is mission-driven and probably requires grueling hours. And it sparks creativity and inspiration and new ideas. You know, like when you strip all of that away and you hire this 300-pound big scary dude, it, it stifles a lot of that. And in the same way, I think Mike's willingness to bring in and kind of be open-minded to bringing in someone who can fill in these skill sets that they don't have, that Doug's just kind of completely unwilling to welcome that in, at least in this movie. We don't know about real Doug because we don't know anything about real Doug apparently, but at least in this movie portrayal, like they they could have balanced each other out really well with their complementing um, skill sets. But in fact, they, they become so extreme in both of their um, – personalities and perspectives that they kind of push each other away and so I think that push and pull and that tension is is pretty often portrayed not not just in the text fairy tales but anytime we see kind of these two friends that are entering into a new world one bends and one doesn't and and they kind of begin to drift apart from each other Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's super interesting yeah because because you see these two and they they complement each other so well, and yet it doesn't seem to work in the end. Mm-hmm. And and we we love that source of tension. And sometimes, you know, it ends in tragedy where the, the pair separates, but sometimes it ultimately ends in triumph when they go different ways, but then they reconcile in the end. Mm-hmm. But we really, we love that whole opposite attracts pairing and seeing their opposite skill sets together working on each other because that creates such tension between them so you have tension outside of the pair and then you have tension within the pair and it just Mm -hmm. makes it for a more exciting whatever you're watching Mm -hmm. yep yep and then it says a lot about them both as characters based on 
whether they choose to be open and accept and, and receive the other or they kind of push each other to be even more extreme versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. One of two paths. The healthier yeah. versions of them would have been like, ah, yes, Doug, that is a great point. Thank you for bringing it up for me. Let let us reassess and talk about it together for what we can do. No, instead he's like, you're dumb. You don't do anything. You're useless. All you do is just have fun and goodbye. You're gone from the company. You know what I mean? Like two extremes and um, it's illuminating that they they both aren't willing to see the other side. Just mm-hmm. in their own little worlds. Yeah. And we we don't like watching movies and shows about people who are healthy. <laughs> no. Because it's not I as really fun. That no, wouldn't yeah. have been as fun for Mike to go, you know what, Doug? You have You're some right. good ideas. Let's brainstorm how we can implement this together and work together and play to our strengths here so that we can have a collaborative and healthy work environment. No, that's not interesting. We nope. want him to say, you're done. I get to do what I want. Look at my supervillain hair. Like, yes. that's way more fun. Go get yourself some gel and get that sweatband out of your hair, dude. Yes. Did you Let not see? Let me offer see? you some help. <laughs> we went through our supervillain transformations. You saw what Jim looks like now. He's full on supervillain like me. You're still Joe Schmo Doug. This right. will not work. <laughs> yeah if we see that healthy moment it's got to be at like the very end yes where they've been through yeah. hell and back and they finally realize that they need each other mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we, we but this see... movie's not interested in doing that this movie no. is a cynical cynical view on yeah. the 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 ability for human beings to get drunk off power basically because both of our Two main characters, Jim and Mike, both are like completely in their own worlds and in their own delusions and drunk on their power trips. Which I I love that these two so different characters have the same downfall. I think that's Mm. brilliant. They could not be more different from each other. And yet in the end, the reason why they fall is the exact same reason. And I Mm. think that that is super interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, this was a really interesting discussion. Yeah. Good job to Blackberry. Yeah. For inspiring. Well done. And for your investigative research. <laughs> Thank you for being the way that you are, Sarah. <laughs> Happy I to love contribute. it. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> Any other last thoughts about Blackberry before we wrap? Uh, the other just very quick thing that Mm -hmm. I have been thinking about is I think that there's something magical that can happen when you cast a comedic actor in a dramatic role. Um, And I think, so I loved how Jim was portrayed in this. I think Glenn Howerton did a great job. Um, His hair was also awful, terrible. Um, But I, I, I primarily know him from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And that movie oh. is, or that show is ridiculous, often hilarious, wildly inappropriate. Great. Uh-huh. Um, and so then to see him as this like business shark, serious dude was 
I think really fun because even when he was being super serious, he still has this comedic timing Timing. about him that still made him likable, even though he was the worst. And so I just, I love it when comedic actors are cast in dramatic roles, the right dramatic roles, and it has to be the right actor. But I think when those two things line up, something magical happens. And I think Mm. we saw that in Blackberry. That's a really great point. Yeah. um, I can't put my finger on why I was like, I'm supposed to hate Jim as a character, but why is he incredibly endearing? And just like, just like a dynamic personality that you just want to follow no matter Mm -hmm. like what he's doing. You're just like this, this is an explosive character and I'm so intrigued what he's going to do next. Um, But also this, that like screen presence too, like he can command a room and, um, this easily could have, I think, felt fallen into melodrama, but I think you bring up a good point that he, he's having a great time playing this role and you can tell, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was a blast. Oh, so good. Um, all right. Well, this was our review and discussion of Blackberry. You can find it available out in theaters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. Everyone is welcome here, and we're so glad you hung out with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about BlackBerry. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Movies and Us Pod or email us at moviesanduspod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon.